morning and welcome. And the Lord be with you. And grace and peace to us all. In the name of Christ our Lord. It is Christ who has stirred us awake this morning and has called us to this place in which we know his presence as we share together in worship, as we gather with one another, and as we know again the gift of this day. Welcome to each of you. You bless us with your presence here. We especially are grateful for the presence of those who may be visiting our guest. We thank you for sharing in worship at the First Church this morning. Please know how much you bless us, and we pray this is a blessed time for us all as we worship Christ together. As we do so, we are mindful of the opportunities that are before us for fellowship and service, especially remembering the meeting of our mission committee on Wednesday evening, and then sharing in one of the uh, fundamental mission ministries of First Church, sharing in the food bank and the clothes closet next Saturday morning. All are welcome to share in this ministry gathering at the Uptown Ministry Center at 8.30. Remember as well the ministries of the Lunch Bunch each Tuesday and Thursday morning, and then our children's ministries following this time of worship and then tomorrow afternoon. As we gather for worship, you see a gentleman on our bulletin cover sharing in the act of fishing. This anticipates the scripture we will share from Luke, the fifth chapter, in which Jesus presides over the miracle of a great draft of fish and also calls the first of his disciples. We are grateful again for your presence here. We'll remind you of the registration pads to your right or left. Uh, welcome again to Sarah. We are grateful for your gift of music offered in this time of worship. Thank you again. We prepare to worship God together.
stand as we share in our call to worship. The invitation is given to every person by Jesus Christ. Come to me, follow me, be my disciples. In the name of Christ, we accept the in the name of Christ, as his disciples, we worship and praise God. In the midst of a world where cruelty abounds, we proclaim the God of compassion. In the midst of despair that threatens to swallow up whole lives, whole peoples, we proclaim the God of hope. In the midst of indifference and apathy, we proclaim the God of love. Come, let us worship together and share our witness of God's living presence in the world.
I invite us to go to God as we pray our opening prayer before us. You call us, wanderer of seashores and sidewalks, inviting us to sail out of our smug harbors into the uncharted waters of faith. You call us to wander off from our predictable paths and follow you into the unpredictable footsteps of the kingdom, to leave the comfort of our homes and accompany you in the uncomfortable neighborhoods we usually avoid. As we wait in our sometimes crazy, uncertain lives, speak to us, Spirit of grace, of that hope which is our anchor, of that peace which is our rock, of that grace which is our refuge. Amen. We share the word of God, a word of resurrection this morning, as we share first from 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, verses 1 through 11, as we share the witness of the Apostle Paul. First we pray. Lord, you speak, and all things are made new. Speak to us now that we may experience you in a new way, that we may be called to greater obedience and service, and that we may fill your spirit within us and your word upon our mouths. Amen. Now, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, in what terms I preached to you the gospel which you received, in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold it fast, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God which is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. This is the word of our Lord.
I'll invite our children to come down. We share in our children's time. And we're going to stand here around our, our baptismal font as we gather this morning. Or not. But the reason I'm going to ask us to stand around a baptismal font is we have the, the celebration of, of baptism today. Now, it may be you remember it was a, a few weeks ago we spoke of, of baptism because we had a, a pond here with a, a fountain in it, and we had the opportunity as this church to remember being gathered into the baptism of Jesus. Well, this morning we, we share in a baptism and we celebrate that as the gift of new life, and it gives us all the opportunity uh, to reaffirm our baptismal vows and to offer our support uh, to the one being baptized in family. And as we remember our baptism, just look over here to this window. It is the second window to your right. Do you see that, that middle window there? What does that, what does that show? Okay. Right, you... He was baptized in what river? We say? Jordan. By whom? His cousin named? Anyone? John the Baptist. And uh, was that second cousin? Because Mary and Elizabeth, I'm not good with genealogy, but they were related. Uh, and then we'll see above John and Jesus. What, what do we see above them? A dove, because when Jesus was baptized, the dove descended. It was a sign of the Holy Spirit. And we heard the voice of God saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Well, we again have the waters of baptism this morning. So we will pour some of these waters. And we will remember again our faith in Jesus. And we remember how important water is to us. So what are some of the things we do with water? Yes. We drink it. We, we baptize. We take showers. When the weather gets hot, what do we enjoy doing? Swimming, Swimming yes. And, and I think we've all heard it said that, you know, actually we can go without food for for a long time. It's, it's no fun, but we can do that. But we can't go without water very long, can we? We need water to live. We need to stay hydrated. We need to, to just keep water some, in some form within us so that we can live. Well, that's true for the waters of baptism, too. We find life in these waters of baptism, and we are grateful for that we have the opportunity to feel them, to hear them, uh, to know uh, what they mean to us and to remember again how Jesus was baptized and as he is baptized so he calls you and me to share in one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So we praise God for that gift and the opportunity we have in this time of worship to, to share in baptism and to remember our own baptism. So thank you children and I'm going to ask you to, uh, we're going to pray and if you'll pray after me. We thank you Lord for the baptism of Jesus and for our baptism. We thank you for the gift of water and how you save us and gather us in these waters of baptism.
we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jim. <clears throat> From the Gospel of Luke, the fifth chapter, verses 1 through 5, we hear the word of God. While the people pressed upon Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had ceased speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great shoal of fish. And as their nets were breaking, they beckoned to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. Henceforth you will be catching men and women. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of our Lord. Well, I've mentioned to you before that I'm someone who's not terribly inclined to take advice that I carry this trait that has both its rewards and its faults. Now, I do not know if this reluctance to take advice is a trait I share with the disciple Peter. I do suspect that if I, like Peter, had been told by Jesus after a long night of unsuccessful fishing to put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch, I probably would not have responded kindly, probably less kindly than Peter. You see, I can envision myself rolling my eyes at this advice. I can see myself shaking my head. Can you believe this guy? I can see myself doing my best to exercise some self-control regarding this self-appointed expert Who's going to dare tell me how to fish? Now, Peter, to his credit, does not respond this way. He tells Jesus they've been giving their best all night. Nonetheless, perhaps to be done with this know-it-all, Peter tells Jesus, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. Well, it appears Jesus knows what he's talking about. No sooner do they drop these nets than they enclose a great catch of fish, so much so that their nets are to the point of breaking. 
They call the guys from the other boat. Hey, we need some help over here. They fill their boat so that it almost sinks. It's a miracle. But if that's true, how are we then to understand the response of Peter? You understand my question. That is to say, whether the miracle is that of being healed of some disease or escaping some danger, surviving some great calamity, or being the 1969 Mets. Anyone? Anyone? We believe the response to a miracle should be one of joy. It's a miracle. Not so with Peter. There is a miraculous draft of fish. Nets breaking, boats sinking, fishermen straining to contain it all. And Peter is there taking it all in. But rather than a sense of celebration, rather than some outburst of gratitude, Peter humbly asked Jesus to leave. How are we to understand that? How are we to understand this response to this miraculous catch of fish, a catch that may provide for Peter and many other fishermen for days and weeks to come? Where's the burst of joy? Especially when we consider how well we can relate with Peter. That is to say, we, like Peter, know what it is to labor all night and to receive little, if any, reward for our efforts. I mean, we know that experience within the church. Wanting to grow, wanting to draw new people within this body of Christ, we find those ways to labor all night, and we in the church may do so as we perhaps try to adopt new styles of worship or new forms of music or creative ways of drawing in the unchurched. We've stayed up all night finding ways to offer studies, classes, programs, small groups, speakers, all with the hope of experiencing a great catch of fish. We've stayed up all night trying to find new ways by which to bring back to the church those whom we haven't seen in some time. We put great effort into new forms of outreach. We use social media to promote the ministries of the church. We offer special services, special activities for children and youth. But having spent many a night casting our nets, we still know that experience of saying, Master, we, we toiled all night. It took nothing. If only we, like Peter, could be visited by such a miracle. If only our efforts of toiling all night, casting our nets, gave way to some miraculous catch. That's not too much to ask. It's not too much to want our faithful efforts, efforts sacrificial, efforts yielded with the best of intentions, 
to be honored by God with some miraculous response. And we would be more than grateful. So who would have thought? Who would have thought that having received this miracle, Peter would respond with fear, wanting to be rid of Jesus? Who would have thought this miracle to be occasion in which we hear Jesus say, don't be afraid? Now we are grateful for Jesus' words, and we believe them to be words of comfort, but they are also words inviting this question, afraid of what? That's to say, what is it about the work of and the presence of Jesus that elicits fear, that makes it necessary for Jesus to say, don't be afraid? As I wonder about this, I remember a, a conversation between United Methodist Bishop William Williman and evangelical leader Jim Wallace. It is a conversation which occurred following a lecture delivered by Wallace, a lecture titled, The Renewal of the Inner City Church. It was a lecture in which Jim Wallace told a group of pastors true stories of declining inner city churches that had, by the grace of God, rediscovered their mission and had begun to thrive. Williman recalls that following this lecture, he was inspired. However, this reaction of Will Williman was not shared by other pastors who had heard Jim Wallace. Williman tells us that in the conversation following this lecture, one pastor after another criticized Jim Wallace. There were pastors who accused him of looking at the church through rose-colored glasses. One pastor even implied that this accomplished evangelical leader had lied. Willman tells us that he, he later told Jim Wallace he was appalled by the reaction of these pastors. Wallace said to Willman, I wasn't. That's the reaction I always get from mainline pastors. They are amazed when God wins, scared that Easter just might, after all, be true. Is this what is happening with Peter? That he responds as he does, not with celebration, but with fear, because he's not sure how to shape his life in response to someone who has such authority is Lord of heaven and earth. Just how are we to live in response to one who demonstrates this kind of power? Isn't life less troubled if we don't have to live subject to such a Lord as this? There is a reason, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, says Jesus, because he knows how paralyzing such fear can be, because he knows how fear can keep God at a distance, because he knows when the people of God are driven by fear, there's no room for the life 
life-giving Spirit of God. A couple of current church leaders, Matt Miofsky and Jason Biassi, recently wrote an article titled, Believe in Miracles and Act Accordingly. In this article, Miofsky and Biassi write, Acting as if we believe that the Holy Spirit is up to something in our midst is the single greatest game-changing decision a church leadership team can make. The growing church pastors we interviewed believed that God was up to something, that God was going to do something significant. They were determined to be a part of it, acting as if the Spirit is moving changes everything. For starters, we discovered that churches that believe in the miraculous movement of the Holy Spirit pray fervently, specifically, and boldly. Jorge Acevedo tells us a story about something that occurred shortly after he was appointed to Grace Church, which was at the time a traditional United Methodist church in Florida. He had a strong belief that God was going to use the church to reach people who are disconnected from Jesus Christ. Believing this, he decided to start a contemporary service, at the time a risky step. He was launching a contemporary service in a traditional place. The morning of the first service, he was standing in the new space when someone said to him, it'll never work. But he spent that early morning praying over every chair, praying that the Holy Spirit would produce a miracle. He went back into his office to prepare for worship. When he came out, 261 people were gathered for worship. He describes it as his Pentecost moment. More important than the number, though, was the habit. They were going to pray for the Holy Spirit to work, expect that the Holy Spirit would work, and prepare for the miracles that the Spirit wanted to do in their midst. When we believe that God is up to something, say the authors, we pray differently. We see differently. And most importantly, we begin to act differently. This is perhaps why this virtue matters so much in rapidly growing churches. A belief in the miracle producing work of the Spirit led them not only to pray, not only to see, but immediately to act. Such churches consistently make big bets and bold moves that other churches are afraid to make because they believe the Spirit is at work. The, prompt, the Spirit prompts them to act more boldly. We must act boldly. We must act as if we expect God to do miracles. The more boldly we act, the more likely we are to see miracles happen. We may respond to that witness with excitement. 
we may welcome the challenge found within this witness. Or we may find it a witness troubling. May respond to this witness with fear. May want nothing to do with it. You know, in, in every church, there are listed the names of persons whom the church never sees. I've heard throughout my ministry that roughly one-third of a church's membership will be active within the church. That means two-thirds, well over a half, of those listed on the membership rolls of the church aren't active within the church. Now, there's several reasons for this. We know that among these members, we find persons who, due to age or health, aren't able to be active. We know there are those who have moved but still wish to be connected to the church, and they still support the church from a distance. We may find among these names those who have moved, joined another church, but just haven't notified their previous church. But in addition to these categories of inactive, I believe there's one more category. That is to say, I believe those, there are those who have joined a church, those found on membership roles, but are rarely found in church for this reason, don't want to shape their lives in response to one who is Lord, to one who holds all power and authority. In other words, I'm not sure I want to shape my life in response to such a Lord as this. I'm not sure I wish to live subject to such a Lord as this. I don't want to listen to him. I don't want to do what he says. I prefer to keep my distance. I don't want to take him so seriously. Because were I to do that, I'd have to live differently than I live now. Now, I don't say that to be critical at all. Quite the opposite. I appreciate the fact there are among us those who know we can't be indifferent to Jesus. We can't live our lives in neutral. We know what he's selling, we're just not interested in buying it. And these neighbors stand closer to Peter, this disciple reacting to Jesus with fear and a distance than they may realize. And as these neighbors do so, they remain close to us all. We all stand close to Peter. We are never far from this Jesus who wants to be Lord of our lives. Never far from this resurrected Lord anxious to raise us to newness of life. Never far from this Lord wanting to work in our lives in ways described only as
invite Matt and Lee, Will and Jack to come forward. We'll stand over here. It is a great joy to share in baptism and reception into membership. So we receive Matt Showman by baptism this morning, profession of faith. We receive Lee by transfer. Lee has previously been baptized. Matt has not, so it is a great joy to affirm their presence and their gifts within the life of this community of faith. The Showmans have been here with us for some time, almost two years practically been very involved in the life of the church, and again, a great joy to receive them, and for us all as this community of faith to remember our baptismal vows. Matt, Lee, I'll ask you to... Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church, we are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the Spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. I'll ask you both. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? If so, I do. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? According to the grace given to you, Will you remain a faithful member of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representative in the world? And to you, the congregation, do you as Christ's body, the church, reaffirm both your rejection of sin and your commitment to Christ? Amen. Will you nurture one another in the Christian faith and life and include these persons now before you in your care? With God's help we will proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ. We will surround these persons with a community of love and forgiveness that they may grow in their trust of God and be found faithful in their service to others. We will pray for them that they may be true disciples who walk in the way that leads to life. Let us join together in professing the Christian faith as contained in the scriptures the Old and New Testaments. Do you believe in God the Father? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? I believe, I believe in Jesus Christ, Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He arose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body.
The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the dark waters and brought forth light. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. After the flood, you set in the clouds a rainbow. When you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. Their children you brought through the Jordan to the land which you promised. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Tell of God's mercy each day. In the fullness of time, you sent Jesus nurtured in the water of a womb. He was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. He called his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection and to make disciples of all nations. Declare his works to the nations. Pour out your Holy Spirit to bless this gift of water and the one who receives it, to wash away his sin and clothe him in righteousness throughout his life, that dying and being raised with Christ, he may share in his final victory. All Matt Showman, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The Holy Spirit work within you, that being born through water and the Spirit, you may be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now it is our joy to welcome our new brother in Christ, through baptism, you are incorporated by the Holy Spirit into God's new creation and made to share in Christ's royal priesthood. We are all one in Christ Jesus. With joy and thanksgiving, we welcome you as a member of the family of Christ. And Lee, as a member of Christ Universal Church, we be loyal to the United Methodist Church and to do all in your power to strengthen its ministries. And as a member of this congregation, will you faithfully participate in its ministries by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service. Members of the household of God, I commend these persons to your love and care. Do all in your power to increase their faith, confirm their hope, and perfect them in love. We give thanks for all that God has already given you. And we, okay, this is the bottom of page 38 in your hymnals. If you would turn to, uh, to I'd like us all to share the bottom of page 38. Oh, here we go. Okay. We give thanks for all that God has already given you, and we welcome you in Christian love as members together with you in the body of Christ 
and in this congregation of the United Methodist Church, we renew our covenant faithfully to participate in the ministries of the church by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, and our service, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The God of all grace, who has called us to eternal glory in Christ, establish you and strengthen you by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you may live in grace and peace. Amen. Welcome. And we welcome Matt and Lee, Will and Jack. Welcome, young men. You behave beautifully here. Let's welcome the Showman family, and let's also welcome one another as we pass the peace of Christ. <laughs> Just come forward as we worship God with his tithes and our offerings. Let us pray. Lord, you give to us all things. You give to us life, abundant, the promise of life everlasting. You give to us these gifts by which we may worship and serve you except but a portion that we return to you, and may they be a faithful measure of our love for you and a desire that all your people be blessed. Amen.
we go to God as we pray, we share in a responsive time of prayer. We know as the prayers of the people, I will know various name various petitions, concluding each with the words, Lord, in your mercy, and inviting from you the response to hear our prayer, and inviting from you those concerns you feel led to offer in this time of prayer. Then we pray together as Christ has taught us. Let us pray. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for the people of this congregation. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for those who suffer and to those in trouble. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for the concerns of this community. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for the world, its peoples, and its leaders. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for your church, its leaders, its members, and its mission. Lord, in your mercy. Amen. Bishop Lewis, Janine Howard, Virginia delegates to General Conference, the ministries of First Church. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayers gathered with those of your saints, whose voices, even now, are raised with ours, as we pray as Christ has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever.
go forth as the baptized people of God, as the light into the world, and as those who fear not, for Christ is with us. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Yeah. <laughs>